Welcome back to That Wasn't In My Textbook, our bi-weekly podcast that helps us uncover the things we always wish we learned from that boring, bulky textbook. I'm your host, Toya, and you're now listening to Season 2, Episode 7 on the history of violence in Israel and Palestine. We're fighting for all of us. Friday, folks. Today, we're talking about a topic that was that has been recently all over the news and historically has been in the news with media outlets highlighting bombings and violence. Yes, this episode is uncovering what exactly is going on between Israel and Palestine and uncovering how this all started about a hundred years ago. Yes, what we're seeing today started a hundred years ago and it definitely wasn't in my textbook. And I'm curious to know if anyone else has learned about the conflict or I guess the correct way of saying it is the tensions between Israelites and Palestinians. Did you folks learn about that in your textbook? DM me, let me know. As of today, there is kind of a ceasefire that has been agreed between Israel and Palestinian militants, Himas. And this peace kind of ceasefire came 11 days after fighting where 240 people have been killed. Most of these deaths have been Palestinians in the territory of Gaza. So that's what's going on right now, but we're going to uncover what happened in the past and how we got there today. But before we do all that, I have a quick announcement. We have bookmarks. We have, that wasn't in my textbooks, enamel bookmarks. They're really dope. Check them out, look at them, and purchase them, of course, at thatwasn'tinmytextbook.com slash store. Now back to today's topic. Now, I was a little hesitant about doing this episode simply because I personally didn't know much about Israel violence and Palestinian resistance. As an African-American studies major and a black woman, I always feel like I can tell you anything and everything about black history all day, every day with my eyes closed. But when it comes to other people's colors history, I don't feel like an authority. And I just want to make sure that I don't simply say the wrong thing or skip important information. So for this episode, I am joined by Tamar, a member of the Palestinian Youth Movement chapter in New York City, who is also a graduate at NYU, which was my last corporate job, by the way. So it kind of felt full circle to be talking to Tamar, who's currently studying American studies at NYU in the history department, which I used to work at. Um, And Tamar, is also has family in Palestine and is an activist. This interview is so good, y'all. And I know I say that about everyone, but it truly, truly is. She gives us some clear and great insights on the tensions between Israel and Palestine and how it got to where it is today, how it connects to other liberation movements like the civil rights movement and the Black Lives Matter movement here in America. And she also gives us some resources to take a deeper dive on the topic and to take steps to get involved if that's what you're interested in doing. So let's begin this episode with the usual 10-minute history that I do solo dolo, where I will be giving you a brief overview of 
the Israel violence and the Palestinian resistance. And then we'll jump into the great interview with Tamar. So I need you to take a moment to just think about this. What would happen if you built a shelter or a refuge for people who are being kicked out of their home and then moved into another place where people already live? And then these people who are seeking refuge in this already occupied place start taking over, building walls, setting up military bases, sounds familiar, making discriminatory laws against indigenous folks, moving the original inhabitants around. What do you think would happen between these two groups, the new refugees and the indigenous folks? In this brief overview, you'll understand how these questions are at the root of the tension and the beef between Israelites and Palestinians. Because to be clear, this tension is not, and this conflict is not about Jews versus Muslims or anti-Semitism. It's not about religion. It's about land and resistance to being colonized. So here are uh, some important things that you should know. Remember, this is a brief overview. So one, many Jews fled the horrible and harsh conditions of anti-Semitism Europe during periods like the Holocaust and came to Palestine. Now you might be wondering, why did they go to Palestine of all places? And that's where this term Zionism comes in, which stems from the belief that the Jewish population couldn't survive if it didn't have its have a nation of its own. And so a journalism dude named Theodore created Zionism because he believed that Jews needed to leave Europe and to settle into their own state. And what was that state? Palestine. For Jews, Palestine is their ancestral home, what they consider to be their holy land promised by God. So Zionists encouraged Jews fleeing the Holocaust and other places in Europe to move to historic Palestine that was a British colony. At the time, what was known as Palestine was about 80% Muslim, 10% Christian, 3% Jewish, and everybody was just chilling and living in harmony. But then shit changed and hit the fan about 74 years ago when the UN created this partition plan of 1947 that gave Jewish immigrants the majority of land of Palestine and let them create this new state that we know today as Israel. The indigenous Palestinians were rightfully salty and upset and rejected the UN's plan and several Arab states invaded the new state of Israel. During the war, Israel forces erased over 400 Palestinian villages and towns. When the fighting was over, Israel took even more land than the UN had originally given them and took over about 78% of historic Palestine. And when three quarters of a million indigenous Palestinians that fled or were kicked out during the fight tried to return home to this new state of Israel, they were banned by the Israel government. And at the time, hundreds of thousands of Palestinian relatives and neighbors who didn't leave during the war became second class citizens in the new state of Israel. Today, a large part of historic Palestine is divided into an area that has been renamed Israel, where Jews are in the majority and some Palestinians live there. And then there are some Palestinian refugees and descendants that are in the millions that are forced to live on the outskirts of 
this new nation of Israel in places like Gaza, which is a strip of land, and other places like the West Bank and Jordan. There are many Palestinians also living in exile throughout the world, and millions are in refugee camps hoping to return to their homeland. To bring back the question I asked at the beginning of this, and to sum it up, one group of refugees, the Jews, found a much-needed home after dealing with horrific things like the Holocaust. But in that process, and ironically, they kicked out indigenous folks and created a new group of refugees, Palestinians. So that's the first thing you should know about what's going on right now. The second thing to understand is that Israel was founded as a Jewish state in the 1940s. But what does that mean? What was created with this declaration that it was a Jewish state um, when the UN handed over Palestinian land was really kind of messed up. Since Israel has become a place, it uses institutional discrimination against non-Jewish people, kind of like how racism works here in America. Israel has been built on exclusion. The Israel government wants to maximize land and resources for Jews, but not Palestinians living there. That's why inside of Israel's territory, Jews get special privileges that are denied to the Palestinian citizens. According to research, there are over 65 racist laws in Israel that discriminate against Palestinians. By the way, many of these were established in 2000, so it wasn't that long ago. Here are some of these discriminatory laws that you might find interesting and familiar. One law is that only Jews have the right to have land and housing. Palestinian citizens are blocked from leasing about 80% of land controlled by the state. Another law is for Palestinians who have a permanent residency to live in the capital of Israel, Jerusalem. Entry into and residency can be revoked. It's considered a privilege for Palestinians instead of an inherent right. So thousands of Palestinians have had their residency rights revoked. And if Palestinians are away from Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, for a prolonged period of time, they can lose their residency rights. Another law that reflects the institution of discrimination in Israel is the right to family life that bans family unity. It prevents family from coming together when one spouse is an Israel's citizen and the other is a resident of the occupied territories like Gaza or West Bank. Thousands of Palestinian families have been affected by this law, forced to split apart, move abroad, or live in fear of constant deportation. Israel has built Jewish settlements throughout occupied, predominantly Palestine, West Bank. They've created Jewish-only cities, supplying them with infrastructures like roads, armies, and schools. Israel's military occupation was supposed to be temporary, but it's been there for over 40 years throughout places like Gaza, and it looks rather permanent and feels rather unjust. In the West Bank, 
Jews, settlers, and indigenous Palestinians live in this, on the same land, but they live under completely separate and unequal systems of Israel law. Jewish settlers dominate all natural resources, including water and land, and they're backed up by the Israel army. To maintain their colonization and occupation, Israel has demolished thousands of Palestinian homes, confiscated their land, bombed Palestinian areas like Gaza, and punishes people for resistance with raids, arrests, and assassination to help gain maximum land and make life super hard for Palestinians so that they either leave or are too afraid to resist. Understandably, Palestinians have fought back for decades. They've tried to get liberation and get rid of their colonizers through armed struggle. Some groups still use taking up arms as a tactic, but today a majority use peaceful protest to fight against Israel's occupation. There's been this pattern of control, repression, violence that hurts both the Palestinians living under occupation slash colonization and the Israelites who are living as occupiers and colonizers. So that is the root of the problem in the history behind the violence between Israel and Palestine. So what's next? What about peace? Many argue that U.S.-backed peace talks have been complete trash. They've been trying to help them for the past two decades, and it's just simply made things worse, mostly because the U.S. is helping Israel continue its occupation. The United States has given Israel's government money to fund their military, helping Israel occupy, kill, and control Palestinians. In fact, who do you think is the biggest reciprocant of U.S. foreign aid in the world? You guessed it, Israel. Around the world, there are millions of people, including people like me and you, Jewish people, Palestinians who are protesting, calling for divesting, boycotting, and educating, and calling for peace whatever that looks like, all to bring nonviolent international pressure on Israel to stop violating the human rights of Palestinians. If we think about other liberation movements, right, like the civil rights movement, although we're still fighting for those rights, the women's rights movement, although we're still fighting for those rights, the South African apartheid, LGBTQ rights, and whichever other liberation movements I might be missing, all these movements have been led by regular, regular people who are fed up, want equality, and a lot of these movements have had some success or have gained full rights for those people. So I hope that peace can be accomplished and I plan to learn more and do more when it comes to supporting Palestinians' fight in their civil rights. Now, let's get into the interview with Palestinian Youth Movement member Tamar. Please note that for her own safety and her family's safety, who is still in Palestine, I will refrain from giving you her full name and her personal social media accounts. So I thank Tamar for taking her time to, to talk to me and educate all of us. Now, let's get into this great interview. Hi, Tamar. <laughs> Hi, Tamar. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Toya. How are you? I'm good. We're so excited. Yes, we're so excited to have you here. Tamar is joining us from New York. She is a member of the Palestine Youth Movement, the New York chapter. She's also a graduate student currently studying American studies at NYU, my old uh, employee before I started all this. So we have that connection and I'm so happy to have us joining 
us today as listeners because you know in the news as of recently and it just it's been kind of over the years but recently there's been new news about the relationship between Israel and Palestine and at the beginning of this podcast I did a little background on the history of that and I admittedly um admitted admittedly admitted um my kind of ignorance around it I didn't really know about it I never learned about it in my textbooks and I never really did my due diligence to completely understand what's going on and so I felt like it was important to cover this topic especially now and you know it has a connection to you know the civil rights movement and all the movements of people who are trying to break from colonialism and so I wanted to have someone who's connected to the movement who's an actor to join us and give us a lot more information than I know and that I could probably find online. So I'm just happy to have you here. And so the first thing I always have people do is just introduce themselves. So please, I mean, I did a little intro, but let people know who you are, maybe um, your background and why you joined the group and what the group does and all that other stuff. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. My name is Tamad. I'm a member of the Palestinian Youth Movement New York City chapter. Also a grad student here, like you said, um, originally from Philadelphia, but now in New York. Uh, my family, yeah, shout out to Philly. Uh, my family is from a village called Estude in Palestine. Um, and they were ethnically cleansed from their land in 1948. They're now in Gaza, um, very close to Estud, which is now called Ashdod, um, and have been facing uh, a horrible round of, of Israeli attacks for uh, over a week now. Um, so I'm, I'm here today to kind of just talk about the Palestinian struggle, talk about how our struggle is connected to struggles all across the world. Um, the Palestinian youth movement, you know, believes really, really deeply in, in joint struggle work and, and believes in the interconnectedness of all of these struggles. Um, so I'm really excited. And, you know, uh, we're uh, mostly based in North America, the PYM. So in, in the US and in Canada, and we're independent grassroots organization um, that leads, you know, community-based organizing, addressing the needs of like the Arab and Palestinian community. We organize workshops to, you know, develop skills and political analysis for our members and our community members. Um, and we, you know, like I said before, participate in initiatives kind of around a joint struggle framework um, that challenges colonialism, racism, and injustice anywhere. Wow. Yeah, total yes, that is beautiful. So one of the signature questions of the show was always like, we always open up with the definition. So I'm trying to frame this correctly, but how would you explain what's happening currently at the moment between Israel and Palestine? Yeah, so I would say there's certainly a lot of misinformation out there. It's, you know, uh, very purposefully done to um, obscure the reality of what's happening. And I think the first thing that people should know is that it's often, you know, posed as, as a conflict. Um, it's not a conflict and it's just kind of simply settler colonialism. And it's about people struggling against settler colonialism. 
Um, and so Zionism is the political ideology that the state of Israel was, was founded upon. It's an ideology that's pretty explicitly settler colonial. If you look back at the early, you know, founders of Zionism, they were, they were pretty proud about it. Mm -hmm. um, and it calls for, you know, establishing a Jewish state with an explicit Jewish majority, right? Which is a supremacist ideology. And for, for the early Zionists, they actually weren't always looking to Palestine to establish this state. They looked at places in East Africa, like what is currently Uganda or Kenya mm. to create the state, um, but ended up you know, picking Palestine, <laughs> right? Um, and it's also important to note that the push behind Zionism uh, was escaping European anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, it's an ideology that's built on and inspired by British, American, French, et cetera, you know, settler colonialism and racism. Um, and so Zionist settlers started coming to Palestine when once they decided on Palestine in the late 1800s and and settlement, you know, really ramped up over the years. And certainly after World War II and the Holocaust, um, Jewish people were escaping European anti-Semitism, but unfortunately only to come and be an active part in the violent removal and oppression of another people. Um, and of course, you know, British material support of Zionism is very explicitly based in anti-Semitism. So that's just a little background on the, the political ideology that drives the state of Israel. Mm. Um, and I can get into a little bit more too. Yes, we will, we will. I love that you kind of just like broke it down that, you know, explaining what Zionism and that it's kind of the settler colonialism that's happening. Um, and even just how you were able to talk about how, you know, Jews were escaping anti-Semitism but are kind of in their own way creating the thing that they're escaping, <laughs> um, the irony of that. So <laughs> what, so you, so you kind of defined it and you talked about some important things that people should know. I feel like there's a lot of comparison and I can see it now that I've done my research and you've talked about it, but can you give us maybe some more clear cut of, you know, the comparison that people make between what's happening to the Palestinian people and what has happened to other people who have been colonized or dealing with racism like Black folks or the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, as I mentioned before, these systems of, of oppression are all connected. They all mm -hmm. learn from each other. You know, um, the early Zionists, uh, Theodore Herzl was in conversation with Cecil Rhodes, you know, the horrible British colonizer who wrought, you know, unimaginable violence on the continent of Africa. Mm -hmm. You know, we have like Zev Jabotinsky, who was also an early Zionist thinker who was reading Andrew Jackson and inspired by Andrew Jackson, uh, you know, the horrible US president who committed mass atrocities against the indigenous people here, against enslaved people here. Mm -hmm. um, so there's there's a, a deep uh, discursive and material foundation for for yeah. how these violent systems are connected. But 
Um, in terms of, you know, Black Palestinian solidarity and the connection between the Black liberation struggle and the Palestinian liberation struggle, I think it's it's definitely something that's been around for, for decades. Mm-hmm. You know, it em- emerged really strongly in the late 60s um, when, you know, Israel occupied uh, more parts of Palestine in 1967, it was a turning point for a lot of people in the country and for a lot of Black activists and, you know, in SNCC or, you know, in other civil rights groups, Mm -hmm. um, people like Malcolm X, Kwame Ture, Angela Davis, Mm -hmm. George Jackson, they were all, they all saw what was happening very clearly. They saw, you know, the men beating and killing and you know it reminded them of their um but it was also it was this moment of internationalism in in the late 60s and then again with like the black power movement in the 70s mm-hmm. that helped them really strengthen their own analysis of themselves and of the world um and there's this great quote from uh kathleen cleaver who was a black panther who said after meeting um, members of the Palestinian Liberation Organization in Algeria in 1969, she said, we both knew we were at the bottom, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's this, it's this witnessing um, first and foremost that really shows an immediate connection. Like we, we see each other, I know what you're going through, but really, you know, beyond that, um, there is a a deeper understanding of how the violence is all connected to each other. Um, but you know, like in, in 2014, there was what a lot of people call a resurgence of this Black Palestinian solidarity. Mm-hmm. It happened, you know, it's like the Gaza Ferguson moment. Yeah. Um, right, lots of, lots has been written about it. Um, and it was an amazing moment. It was a moment when Israel was attacking Gaza as it is currently right now, yeah. you know, it was right after Michael Brown was murdered, um, and lots of of black intellectuals and organizers took risks to come out, you know, in support of Palestine, and, and many paid a price for it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the tide is really turning, for sure, um, which is amazing. And the solidarity that you know that's been shown the past week or so has just been incredible. Um, but I think, you know, the solidarity is amazing, but I think what's really important to make sure that people know is, again, the structural violence. Mm -hmm. You know, as your listeners know, the foundation of American police is in slave patrols, right? Yeah. That's the Mm -hmm. base of, the basis of police violence. It's always protected, you know, wealthy white people, property, capital first, that's that's its only purpose. Mm-hmm. And if you follow that lineage, you can see today American police training with the Israeli army. Mm. They, you know, they all exchange tactics. The, you know, I'm I'm in New York. The NYPD has an office in Tel Aviv, right? Wow. It's it's a, a a long lineage of of violence and and shared violence yeah, and structural violence, like you said. Exactly. And me, I think even in American history, I can't think of the phrase and. 
I'm, I'm gonna put you on the spot because you're either American history person, but you know, there was an ideology, I can't remember it, kind of like Zionism of being like, they, that, you know, Europeans and other people have the right to settle in America and to spread their word and to spread Christianity. I forgot what the, it was called. There was another like phrase for it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's like kind of what you're saying, like repeated history, learning these structural racism systems, learn from each other, teach each other, work together um, to keep people in bondage. And so I really like that you had that quote from Catherine Cleaver because she's like one of my favorite Black Panthers and I actually did a recreated photo of her recently. So, um, and I know she spent a lot of time in exile um, because of the different threats that were happening by the police and the government here in America. So she did spend a lot of time, I believe in Africa and other, and Israel and other parts. So um, they said she was exiled for like 12 years. So I know she spent a lot of time internationally and she actually grew up um, overseas because her, her father was like in the foreign service. So I know she has a lot of international experiences and talked a lot about um, Palestine. So I really, really appreciate you making that connection and like, you know, it's important that we understand the solidarity. I think we all get, there's so many problems, you know, that we're all fighting and we can, it's easy to just be worried about your group and your problem. But like you said, there's so many connections and yeah. there's solidarity and there's powers in groups and just like the structures, the powers that be are working together against us. So we should work together to fight these various similar battles. Mm -hmm. um, in that sense. So I, I appreciate you making that clear connection that, you know, we're all at the bottom and we can, yeah. we can fight this. Um, so I appreciate yeah. that. So Tamar, what are some important things that people should know about the history or the current state of what's going on between Israel and Palestine? And so what, what event or what change of events has brought this um, historical um, unrest back onto the whole world's radar? And then what are some things that people should know or that you want people to take away from this? So I think um, in looking at what's happening right now, we also have to look at what happened in 1948. Mm -hmm. And we, we historicize our displacement and dispossession as starting from 1948, because that's when the state of Israel was established. That's when 700,000 Palestinians were displaced from their land. Um, including my family. Um, but dispossession starts earlier than 1948, right? As I talked about with the, the Zionist movement and mm -hmm. uh, Zionist settler colonialism. And it's of course still continuing to this day. Um, what kind of lit the fire or, or sparked sort of this um, more increased visibility of Palestinian displacement is the fight um, that families, that Palestinian families in Sheikh Jarrah are pushing for um, because there are over a dozen families that are at risk of being kicked out of their homes by Israeli settlers in the holy city of Jerusalem. Mm. And these families have been at risk for dispossession for, for decades. Um, and it's Sheikh Jarrah, it's Silwan, it's many other places in Palestine. Um, but a lot of media attention is being focused on Sheikh Jarrah. Um, but it really is a microcosm of, of larger Palestinian dispossession. So, you know, what I, what I want people to know is that Palestinian dispossession and Zionist settler colonialism, it's unique, but it's, 
inherently connected to the histories of many other places. It's not an age old conflict. Um, and in fact, you know, this language of age old conflict is, is an Israeli talking point to make it appear as though you have to have a PhD, you know, <laughs> to talk about what's a pretty clear cut case of right and wrong of, you know, oppressor and oppressed. Um, I want people to know that it's not a religious conflict. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, Palestine is a holy land for, for Christians and Muslims and Jewish people, but it's fundamentally not a conflict about religion. Um, it's about land and power and saying, you know, that it's age old or that it's a religious conflict is just a way to, to distract from the truth. Um, and, you know, no conflicts are, are solely about religion. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I want people to know that Palestinians are fighting for our liberation. We're fighting for our life. Um, we're fighting against settler colonialism, racial capitalism, imperialism. So in that way, we're fighting for other people's liberation too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Thank you for, for outlining that. I, I watched a documentary recently about it and it talked about kind of like the propaganda that has been spread in particularly here in America about what's going on in Israel and Palestine. And one of the phrases is that, that it's common that's used in the news is that they, that they in, uh, meaning Israel has the right to defend themselves. And they um, have pivoted a lot of Palestine as being terrorist, you know, that's the favorite word and attacking. And I know America has played a role in that. And so could you talk a little bit about America's role in it historically um, and the propaganda around how it's framed? Because you alluded to that when you talked about the, the controversy of using the word conflict. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, there's a huge struggle over media right now, as there has been, you know, for, for lots of different conflicts. Um, and media really, as you know, in the case of, of the Black liberation struggle too, it justifies like surveillance and incarceration and, and the killing of, of Black people and Palestinian people. And, you know, it's, um, it's hard to counteract centuries or decades of, of being called, you know, a terrorist or a criminal or a thug. And, you know, that's any racially coded word, right? And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's a, what we're fighting against too, is yeah. um, how the media kind of works to, to uphold these structures. And it's all but intentional you, too, that that is exactly. done. They understand the power of media, mm -hmm. the power of images, the power of words. And so yeah. that's used to explain what's going on, explain in quotes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think, you know, the the talking point that Israel has a right to defend itself. I mean, I think we can look exactly at the history of of the US support of Israel. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. settler states support settler states. Um, the US played as a superpower played a role in the establishment of the state of Israel from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, the US has consistently used its power at the UN to protect Israel from any, any type of UN resolution that, you know, comments or, or condemns Israel's human rights abuses. And, you know, when the, when the state of Israel was established in 1948, 
um, Harry Truman was the president at the time and 11 minutes after they declared an independent state, the US recognized the new state. And it's because the U.S. wants an ally in the region to protect its interests, to, you know, facilitate imperialist expansion. So Israel plays that role. And I mean, I think you, you can look at the U.S. military funding of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. So today, actually in 2016, the largest military aid package was given to Israel ever, mm-hmm. uh, signed under Obama. It's $3.8 billion a year. Israel is, you know, it's the largest recipient of US military um, financing and, and actually, you know, taxpayer dollars are, are given to Israel as credits um, so they can use to buy weapons from the US. Um, and this is, you know, typical of US military funding, but what's uh, unique to Israel actually is that it's the only recipient of uh, military financing that is allowed to spend this money on their own weapons. So basically Ooh. the US taxpayer is directly financing Israeli weapons manufacturers in addition to US weapons manufacturers. So, you know, to say that Israel has a right to defend itself, well, first of all, you know, our money is is going to pay, you know, is going to fund my own family's oppression. It's going to to send bombs to Gaza right now. And in addition to that, you know, the Israel is supported, you know, uh, apartheid South Africa, sold weapons to apartheid South Africa, w- was selling weapons to Myanmar. We're very complicit in all types of, of human rights abuses um, in, you know, in Israel and also all across. Also important to know is that these weapons are tested on Palestinians, right? Uh, We're really the lab rats for a lot of them. You know, the other day there was a video of um, a drone dropping tear gas on a protest, um, which is like really apocalyptic to look at. But, you know, we're probably gonna see that in the US very soon, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the push to, to stop U.S. support of Israeli crimes is um, gaining a lot of momentum right now. There's a fight in Congress, actually, as we're talking, to stop an additional $735 million of precision mis- missiles to Israel. So on top of the $3.8 billion, there's an additional $735 million and these numbers are astounding, right? Like yeah. we look at we look at Flint. Flint still doesn't have clean water. No. Nope. More and more people are out on the streets in the middle of a pandemic. People are drowning in student loan debt, in medical debt. And this is what we're spending our taxpayer dollars on. That's that's crazy. That's insane. It's insane. Yeah. Well, first, thank you for all of that because I didn't really know that. And it's very disheartening because it's, you know, not tax day. I got to like pay my taxes and <laughs> I'm not very happy right now. Um, and so it is disheartening that, you know, just in America, what they do with our tax money that's not within our control and the things that we do that we don't know, it's not apparent. They don't lay it out. So the fact that there's 
billions and millions of dollars going there um, is very upsetting to me. <laughs> and I'm sure to a lot of other people who are listening to this episode and learning along with you. So thank you for dropping that knowledge. Um, so as I guess for as an activist in the movement and as a part of the youth movement, what are some you know, I think about like the Black Panther Party, they had like a 10 point plan, not necessarily that you guys have, have that, but what are some things that you're calling for um, outside of obviously like stopping the violence, which should be stopped, shouldn't even start in the first place, but what are some, um, do you have any specific commands or things that you want or how do you want um, Israel and Palestine to be restructured? Um, what does peace look like? What does that look like through the frame of your group? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I would say first and foremost, you can't have peace without justice, right? Mm -hmm. So Palestinians mm -hmm. are calling for, for freedom and liberation and justice and really kind of one of the main tools that we've been using for over 15 years actually at this point is um, called BDS, which stands for Boycott, Divest and Sanction. Mm. And it was a call put out in 2005 by Palestinian civil society inspired by the fight against um, apartheid in South Africa. And it basically calls for, you know, a boycott of Israeli and international companies that support Palestinian human rights abuses. We, you know, we're urging banks and churches and pension funds to divest from companies complicit in the violence. And then finally, the S, which is the big one, um, we're urging governments to to end their support for Israel, like the US, and to hold Israel accountable for its crimes. Um, but we have three main asks for BDS, which is ending the occupation and colonization, um, ending all the discriminatory laws that Israel has instituted against Palestinians, and uh, ending supremacy, right? We're ending mm. supremacy. We, we, want, we want freedom, we want liberation, we want to live. Um, a normal life. And, um, and then finally, the UN sanctioned right of return. So in 1948, when the state of Israel was established, 700,000 Palestinians were, um, were kicked out of their homes. And some ended up in other countries, some ended up in other parts of Palestine, like my family. Um, people just want to return to their homes, you know? Mm -hmm. It's it's really uh, simple, it's human. Um, so BDS is, is a big, big push right now. Um, but in addition to, you know, getting involved in the BDS movement, as I mentioned, there are a few um, bills and resolutions in Congress right now um, that include, you know, dollars um, that fund the arrest and detention of Palestinian children, which is a huge problem. Uh, it's Representative Betty McCollum's bill. Um, there's a big push in the Senate and the House right now to stop the $735 million um, that, that Biden was going to send to Israel. Um, but ultimately, I would say, you know, we know that liberation is not going to come from the U.S. empire. Mm. It's, um, you know, we have to do what we have to do to, to mitigate all of this harm that's happening. But I believe personally that liberation is gonna come 
from other people fighting for their own liberation. It's gonna come from us making a collective effort to all you know, be free. Um, so if you're fighting for your own liberation, whether you know it's queer liberation, black liberation, native liberation, mm -hmm. you're also fighting for Palestine too. I, I do 100% believe that. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, I, I agree too, you know, like, just like they learn from one another about how to keep these yeah. structures going, we can learn from one another and teach yeah. each other and encourage each other on how to fight and gain liberation. Yeah. Um, you alluded to some of the laws and restrictions that are um, enacted by Israel. Could you explain some of those to um, the readers? I talked about it before, but just like, what are some laws? Because I think people will also hear a lot of similarities that are in place that are based in racism um, and discrimination that people should know, like in terms of what it looks like to live there right now. Yeah, definitely. So the U.S. Sorry, the U.S. Israel has <laughs> all the Israel same. has all the same exactly. <laughs> Um, Israel has sets of laws and, and policies for Palestinians living inside Israel. It has uh, laws and policies for Palestinians living in the West Bank, and mm. it has laws and policies for Palestinians in Gaza. So it um, all are, you know, oppressing Palestinians um, and to varying degrees, uh, varying punishments. Um, but at the end of the day, they're all meant to make life incredibly difficult to you know, suppress any resistance or rebellion um, and to squash kind of any hope for the future. Um, mm -hmm. There's, you know, inside Israel, there's, a, a, I think it's about 50 laws that discriminate against Palestinians and, um, the fight for, you know, for rights of Palestinian citizens of Israel is, um, you know, often posed as similar to the fight, you know, for civil rights here in this country. Yeah. Um, but as I said before, even though the laws are different and the policies are different, they're all working towards the same goal of, of just trying to make life as difficult as possible because ultimately Israel wants the land, right? It's a settler colonial state. That's how settler colonial states operate. Mm -hmm. So um, it's all for the same purpose of, of just trying to kick oh. Palestinians out, incarcerate mm -hmm. Palestinians. You know, um, actually incarceration is, is a huge tactic, uh, very widespread, men, women, children. Mm. Um, there's a statistic that says nearly 40% of Palestinian men have been incarcerated in Israeli prisons since 1967, wow. which is an astounding number. Um, 40%, yeah. 40%, and my father was one of those people. He was uh, in prison for 15 years mm. um, for just being politically active, you know? Mm. Um, so they're, they're trying to stifle the resistance in whatever way they can. Um, and of course, you know, this incarceration has echoes to it, you know, how the U.S. deals with the Black population here, with the Native population here. It's, mm -hmm. it's all about controlling the population and trying to make life as difficult as possible. 
Yeah, definitely. And trying to really enslave them in a way, right? Because once you have a criminal record, then you really don't have, I mean, you already don't have any rights because of what you look like in your heritage because they think you're lesser than. But then once you have this criminal record, they create this whole new caste system, right? That says, because you did this, you have even less rights. Um, and whatever this is, most of the time, it's not really that much of a crime within the case of your father. So thank you for sharing that. Um, you already mentioned kind of like one of your calls to action as a youth group, which is like to defund and de-vest. What are some other, um, what are some things that people can do to get involved um, or to help? Definitely. So um, I would say check out bdsmovement.net. That's kind of the home for all of the BDS campaigns um, in the US, in Latin America, in Europe. It's, it's really um, a worldwide uh, movement that is certainly gonna be growing after this latest Israeli assault. Um, check out our website, palestinianyouthmovement.com. If you're a Palestinian or Arab youth under uh, the age of 35, mm. you can join us. Um, check out Jewish Voice for Peace. Uh, if you're if you're Jewish or identify as Jewish or have Jewish heritage, um, if you're interested in learning more just about the history of Palestine, you can check out decolonizepalestine.com, uh, Gaza in Context, which is a, a project that I was also a part of, um, which which situates you know the continual and persistent attacks, uh, Israeli attacks on Gaza within a settler colonial framework. So that's a helpful background too, especially for what's happening right now. Yeah, I love it. What was the, you said Jewish for Peace? Is that one of the Jewish, reasons? yeah, jewishvoiceforpeace.com. Jewish, yeah, jewishvoiceforpeace. I love that you said jewishvoiceforpeace.com because I feel like a lot of the ways that this, um, the Palestine-Israel issue, I don't wanna say conflict, is happening, <laughs> is framed as being anti-Semitism, you know, mm -hmm. and, can you kind of allude to that? Because I think that's what a lot of, I think that's the way that the news kind of frames it a little bit. And I think that's one of the most common misconceptions that it's like anti-Jewish um, and they're being terrorized. Can you kind of explain how it's not like that? <laughs> yeah, of course. So I think it's it's really important to note that, you know, the land of Palestine um, was being colonized is being colonized by an explicitly European Jewish settler project. But Palestine has always been a land that has had Jewish people, it's had Christian people, it's had Muslim mm -hmm. people. Um, and because you know Zionism is a supremacist ideology, it created an invented racial divide in Palestine um, and, and separated, you know, the Jewish Palestinians from their Muslim and Christian siblings, right? And um, it was a divide that made Jewish people into the privileged population so that like more land could be taken and, and given to European Zionists to build the project, to build, you know, a capitalist country. Um, so I think Israel is calling itself the land of the Jewish people, mm -hmm. but you know we know God isn't a real estate agent, right? <laughs> He's there's not. No, there's no uh, way to you know sign a lease um, 
of of land and and give it to one one soul people so mm -hmm. i think um a lot of jewish people are uh upset that israel is using their religion to justify the killing and murder and dispossession of palestinians um and of course you know israel uses um the the argument of of anti-semitism as a way to uh you know to direct the conversation and to to not be held accountable mm -hmm. um for what they're doing to palestinians so yeah it's it's a red herring and um of course anti-semitism is real um but you know calling for um for palestinian justice calling for for palestinian rights um, calling for Palestinian liberation is is not anti-Semitic. I I can tell you that, right? Yeah. Um, You're calling for peace, or, well, yeah, and, and for violence to stop, and for people to get back to their land. There's no um, hate in that messaging at all. Yeah, we just we just want our freedom. We want to return home. Um, you know, we've we've lived. forever, right? Mm. Um, and it wasn't until uh, the settler colonial project was invented that it was made into a Jewish state with um, a Jewish supremacist ideology. That's good to know that that was the establishment, that was the establishment that made that change and mm -hmm. created that divide. Because I don't think that, I don't, I didn't know that. So I appreciate you saying that. Well, before we get into the wrap up question of the show, I was always just have people, if you, um, you already told us about you, but if there's anything that you want to share or how people can get in contact with you or get involved more with the youth movement, the Palestine youth movement, New York chapter, or wherever they are, whatever state they're in um, or country even. So um, yeah, if you wanna just kind of wrap up, tell people what they can do to like support you, learn more about you or to get more active in the movement. And then I'll ask you the last signature question of the show. Yeah, definitely. If you're interested in joining PYM, you know, we have a, a popping Instagram right now. Yes, <laughs> we do. You can, <laughs> you can follow us on, on Twitter and Facebook. Um, we're always around. Um, and yeah, I, you know, come out and join us on the streets. I think that that's a, a great way to get involved. There's, you know, still gonna be protests happening. The, the violence is, is still happening, mm. um, you know, one of the things that that kicked all of this off was what's going on in the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah in Jerusalem. And um, if you follow Mohammed Al Kurd on you know Instagram and Twitter, he's um, one of the Palestinians who's uh, going to be or at risk of being displaced from his home in Jerusalem. Um, the Israelis have been targeting him and dozens of other families you know since the state of israel was established and there's um a massive fight to to keep the families there so israeli you know settler colonialism is, is still continuing um definitely follow him on on instagram and uh and twitter um and you know figure out how to get plugged in and into that fight as well um we're, we're always out here fighting. You know? Yeah. So I'm going to ask you the signature question of the show, which is if you had an opportunity to write a chapter in a textbook on this topic, 
what would you call it and why? That is such a good question. <laughs> I would call it, um, we are fighting for all of us. Mm. Because I truly believe that Palestine is um, a nexus of so many different interconnected systems, settler colonialism, racial capitalism, imperialism. Um, you know, we're fighting for our own liberation, but we're fighting for other people's liberation too. And, and I think our history is, is unique in some ways. So just a different version of the same story. So in, in, this, in this podcast, in me retelling this story, what I really hope people come away with is certainly an understanding and of the intricacies of the Palestinian liberation struggle, but also an understanding that it's not that different from what happened in this country. You know, it's mm. not that different from what happens in and many other places too. Um, so, a history of Palestine is a history of lots of people's struggles. So, we're fighting for all of us. Yeah, that was beautiful. I just really appreciate you taking your time today to talk to us about a topic that you're truly connected to and that I feel truly connected to from this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much, Toya. It was so fun being here with you. <laughs> and that is the conclusion of this episode season two episode seven we're fighting for all of us what a word from tamar and what a great name for this chapter and episode of that wasn't in my textbook podcast i hope peace can be accomplished and i plan to learn more and do more when it comes to supporting palestinians in their fight for civil rights because as mlk stated no one is free until we're all free and while I feel tired from fighting my own fight first as a black person and as a woman, this feels like the same fight. We all want equality. And if we come together, maybe we can achieve it faster. But also simply just being a part of one of these liberation movements makes you connected to the other because we're all fighting for one another. I hope you learned something new today because I did. I hope my brief overview helps you understand the tensions between Palestine and Israel. And I hope I did this topic justice. Like, I hope I did it well. I don't, you know what I mean? Um, don't be mad at me if I fucked it up or I left something out. As always, I encourage you to take a deeper dive on all these topics that we discuss on the podcast through the websites and books and resources that Tamar listed in the interview. Thanks for tuning in to this out of the textbook topic. Don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe. And to tell a friend to tell a friend, let's spread history around and build this community. Also, like I mentioned earlier in my announcements, we have bookmarks. All proceeds go to making this podcast bigger and better. So check out our enamel bookmarks that have our logo on it at thatwasn'tinmytextbook.com slash store. Come back on June 1st for a bonus episode on the history of pride. And after that, we will be having our one year anniversary Juneteenth episode that will be released on Friday, June 18th. Make sure you follow us all over the interwebs. Thanks for tuning in. I can't believe we're almost one year old. <laughs> and remember, we're fighting for all of us. And until next time, knowledge is power.